0: Here's Pastor Steve Converse to begin today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. How can you bring
1: the rule and reign of Christ to earth by conversion? I think really it's, it's, an, it's kind of a missionary prayer. It's an evangelistic prayer. Christ reigns in my life, and when he does, his rule and his reign are brought to earth. My question is, is he ruling and reigning in your life?
0: it mean to pray? Why do we need to pray? Who are we praying to and what are we praying for? These are questions that have hounded Christians for centuries, yet God's Word stands clear on the issue. In fact, our Lord and Savior gave us a marvelous example of what to pray and how to pray, why to pray, and who to pray to. It's found here in Matthew chapter 6. We would invite you to join us as we continue our look at the disciples prayer. Here now, once again, with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Pastor Steve Converse.
1: Let's look at what this three words say here, what they mean. The first word there, thy, it's a simple pronoun. It just talks about that it's it's God's will that we're talking about. The second word, kingdom, is kind of interesting. It, It should really be translated Rule or reign, because that's what it means. See, when we think of kingdom, what do you think about? You think of forts and you think of big walls and, you know, uh, kings and queens and, and maybe Disneyland or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what you think about when you think of kingdom. But it has nothing to do with any of that. The word basically means to rule or to reign. And that's what God wants to happen. He wants his rule, his reign to come. You remember when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Are you a king? <laughs> looking at this guy, are you a king? I mean, whoever saw a king like you? That's kind of what he, was, what he was saying. And Jesus replied what? My kingdom is what? Not of this world. See, they were looking for a kingdom in this world. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Sorry. So it's, it's, it's not talking about the kingdom as far as we think about it. It's really talking about the rule and reign of Christ. It's the rule of Christ, the reign of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ. That's what we're to pray for. And then the third word there, come. It's interesting because in the, in the original language, it means to let it come and let it come immediately. Let it come completely without holding back anything. So I want to ask three questions this morning. First of all, whose kingdom are we talking about? Whose is the kingdom? And that's the first word there, your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. If you go back to verse 9, you see who he's talking about. See, it's always important to understand the context. You can't just say, well, whose kingdom is it? Well, it goes, you go back to verse 9, it says, our what? Father. So it's talking about God's kingdom. It's talking about the, the Father's kingdom. It's not a human kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. It's God's kingdom. The Bible clearly says that we're not involved in a human kingdom. That's not, that shouldn't be our priority. In Philippians 3.20, it says we're sojourners or we're pilgrims. In other words, we're just passing through. First Peter 1.17, our citizenship is where? It's in, not here. It's in heaven. Hebrews 11.10 says that we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. And unfortunately, the church has kind of gotten off track here in so many different ways. We have people that want to worry about how they can preserve the church through political influences in society. And it can't be done. There's no human institution made that can dovetail with the kingdom of God. See, and what happens is when Christians kind of want to do that, they get political and then they find themselves in all sorts of weird situations. Because you can't advance the kingdom through the politics of any society. I was reading this past week and one writer said that's one of the tragedies of America. In the early years, basically our country was a Christian nation, more or less. At least far greater than it is today. And the leaders of the country were Christians. And what happened was, as the church relinquished to the government certain rights, they let the government take over for the caring of the widows and take over for the caring of the orphans and the welfare system. And they let the government do it because the government was basically made up of mostly Christians. So they thought, well, this is okay. This will work out fine. And then we wake up today and we find the government, basically a secular institution, that's filled with mostly non Christians, and they're still controlling some of these things, and we say, how do we get these things back? See, that's what the church is called to do. We're not talking about a man-made kingdom here. They come and go. You think about it throughout history. Egypt came and went. Syria came and went. Syria came and went. Babylon came and went. Medo-Persia came and went. All these things happen. Alexander the, the, the Great conquered everything from Europe all the way to India. In the northern of Europe and to Egypt, and, and, and it's all gone. There's nothing left of that great empire. If you study history, they tell us that 21 great civilizations, all of which have existed at one point, are now extinct. In the book of Daniel, it talks about the image of the different nations. And at one point it says, God has numbered the kingdom and finished it. Thou art weighted in the balance and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided. And that night, the Medes and the Persians came through the gates and wiped out the Babylonian Empire. See, all the kingdoms of the world go by the way of the flesh. The power of sin, decay, and, and destruction, all that are inevitable. And that's what's going to happen. Inevitably, it's going to happen to this country. And so our cause should be God's cause. I mean, we love our country dear. But you know what? There's something greater than our country. It's the kingdom of God. And we need to be preoccupied with what goes on in the kingdom of God. His kingdom should be the issue in our lives. Not my kingdom, but his kingdom. That's what the Lord meant when he said, you seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. And you know what? Everything else will be taken care of for you. Your clothing, your housing, your food, all those things I'll take care of if you seek my kingdom. So what our prayers to be then, Lord, I pray that you will do whatever advances your kingdom in my life. Whatever it is. Whatever brings you rule and reign in my life. Because I know that it says that it's your kingdom. It's not mine. Second question, what is the kingdom? What is it? Stop and think about that. What are we talking about when we're talking about the rule of Christ, the reign of Christ? I mean, there's a lot to be said on this, and we're not going to say it all this morning. But what is the kingdom when it says, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come? The kingdom of God, that phrase is used throughout Scripture. The kingdom of heaven is a phrase that's, and the kingdom of God is used more than any other phrase by Jesus himself. He's constantly talking about the kingdom. He's constantly talking about kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. In fact, when he came, it says that he said, repent for what? The kingdom is at hand. In Luke four forty three, he says, I must preach the kingdom of God, for therefore I am sent. In other words, whatever this kingdom is, it's the heart of the message of Christ. It's what he's concerned about. It's the heart of his plan. It's the heart of history. It's the heart of everything. The rule and reign of Christ is the center of everything. Nothing else matters. He spent all of his years, even though they were limited the ones with his disciples when he was teaching them. He taught them the kingdom, the kingdom, over and over and over again, whether it was through stories or parables or just direct teaching. And then when he died and he rose again, he had 40 days to share with people. And in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, it says that he appeared to his disciples and he gave them commandments pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. Jesus is preoccupied with the kingdom of God. He spoke of the kingdom in three different ways. Actually, three different times. He spoke of it in the past, dealing with the Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob in, in Matthew 8, 11. He dealt with it, speaking of it in the present. In Luke 17, 21, he said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, it's presently right here, right now. And he also spoke of it in the future, right here. He says, your kingdom come. It's a future idea about the kingdom. And you say, well, how can something be Past, present, and future are all at the same time. Because it's not of this world. It's not an earthly kingdom we're talking about. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's a supernatural kingdom. It's it's a kingdom that has been, that is, and that will be all at the same time. Because it's just like God. That's why when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they were thinking, Oh, this guy's a political king. He's a political kind of rebel. That's why they put on his cross, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, mocking him. What kind of king is this? They didn't understand when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. See, they were looking for a kind of kingdom that they saw around them every day. And sometimes we fall into that same trap. There's two different elements in this kingdom that we're talking about. There's a universal element to it, and there's an earthly element to it. One covers the whole universe. The other covers kind of what's related to the earth. Look at the universal kingdom in a sense that God is king of the whole universe. He rules and reigns over the whole earth. I mean, he made it, he runs it, and he'll bring it to its fruition, to consummation in the end. He's a universal king. Psalm 145:13 says, "Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom." Psalm 103:19 says, "The Lord rules over all." First Chronicles 29, verse 11 and 12 says, "You reign over all." Jeremiah 10:10 10, 10 says, "Thou art an everlasting king." Psalm 29:10 says, "The Lord sits king forever." Over and over, we see in Scripture that this universal kingdom is something that's not of this world, it's eternal. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Everything revolves around Christ. Paul said to Timothy, He is called the king eternal, only wise. Speaking of Jesus Christ. See, God is the universal king, and He, he, he rules and He reigns through His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, Thy kingdom Come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of a parallelism in the original languages. And out of the Hebrew and the Old Testament, that's what the, they would do. They would, they would take something and kind of parallel it and they would compare it to each other. It says, thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We could even say, hallowed be thy name as in earth as it is in heaven. Because God's name is holy in heaven. Is God's will done in heaven? Absolutely. Is his rule and reign established in heaven? Absolutely. So what we're asking when we say your kingdom come, we're asking that it would be established where? Here on earth. That's the essence of this. That the universal kingdom of heaven be established here on earth. The prayer is that it would come to earth. That's one thing that Satan does not want to see. But the universal kingdom is eternal and he's not going to be able to prevent it even though he try. But that should be what we're concerned about. See, his name isn't always hallowed on the earth, but it always is in heaven. His will is not always done here on earth, but it is in heaven because of sin. See, the purpose of prayer is to bring his kingdom to earth. that he might put out sin and clean this place up and put down rebellion, put down evil, exalt righteousness. That's the purpose. God's hallowed name, God's kingdom, God's will. You say, well, that'll never happen. Oh, yes, it will. It's going to happen. And when it does, when Christ returns and he brings his universal kingdom back to earth in the millennial reign, all of a sudden, the universal kingdom and the earthly kingdom of God become one. And the Bible says that he will rule and reign here on earth. Does the world need the rule of Christ? <laughs> you bet it does. And there's going to come a day when it's going to get it. It says that he will rule with a rod of iron. In other words, now we, we, we have Jesus as the Savior He's filled with grace and mercy and compassion. Well, when he comes back, you're not going to see that side of Jesus. He's going to come back to rule and to reign as a king. And his rule and reign will be absolute. And he'll squash any rebellion immediately. He's coming back to judge. When we think about that, that's why we encourage people to come to the Savior. Don't wait till Jesus becomes the judge. Because when you hear, here comes the judge, it's too late. Party's over. Whose kingdom is it? It's His. What is this kingdom? The kingdom in mind here is His rule on earth. Third question, and here's the heart of this whole thing. How does it come? How do we have the kingdom of of God come to earth? It says, thy kingdom come. The Greek says, let it come and let it come now. How do we let it come? How do we get it to come? How do we bring His kingdom to earth? How is this prayer answered? A couple different ways. First of all, conversion. How can you bring the rule and reign of Christ to earth by conversion? I think really it's, it's, an, it's kind of a missionary prayer. It's an evangelistic prayer. Christ reigns in my life. And when he does, his rule and his reign are brought to earth. My question is, is he ruling and reigning in your life? Have you been converted? Have you been transformed from the, 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 the darkness into the light by his grace? In Luke 17... He said, don't look for the kingdom here and there. People say, where's the kingdom? Where's the kingdom? Where's the kingdom? All, there's all this stuff about the kingdom. He says, don't look here and there for the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is, is here in your midst. He was standing right there with them and they didn't even recognize him. See, he is the kingdom. He can't separate Christ from his kingdom. When you acknowledge Christ in your heart, in your life, you're bringing the rule and reign of Christ down to this earth. That's what he has in mind. You think of the the Christmas carol that we sing all all the time, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. What do we think of? We think of Bethlehem and all that kind of stuff. See, that's not really what the hymn writer had in mind. Because it goes on, it says, Let earth receive her what? King. And then it tells us how. Let every heart do what? Prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. See, when you allow Christ into your heart, when you bow your sinful soul before a holy God and say, God, I'm in need of your grace and your mercy and and I need your cleansing of my sin. He comes into your life and he transforms your heart. He makes you a brand new person in Christ. He forgives your sin. And you taste of the goodness and graciousness of God. And he takes up residence right within you through the Holy Spirit. And that's what conversion is. See, the reason we talk to people about Christ, the reason we want to share the gospel with people is so that He could rule and reign in their hearts. Romans says, why do we preach? In Romans 1, he says, we do it for the sake of His name. In 3 John 7, when we go out preaching, we go out preaching in whose name? For the sake of His name. We don't just share Christ with people so that our church would get bigger. Unfortunately, that's how some churches think. That's a little self-centered, I would say. The reason to become a Christian is in order to glorify God and exalt His name and His kingdom. You have to. There's no other way to do it. And it begins there with the invitation. That's the first part of it. The invitation. God invites us. Just like we're coming to a feast, He invites us to come to Him. Secondly, it involves repentance. It involves a change of mind, a change of attitude about who God is and who you are. All of a sudden, we begin to realize, wow, I am in need of a Savior, and I do have sin in my life, and I have uh, kind of fallen short of God's high calling and high mark, and I'm not holy like God's holy, and yeah, I'd like to go to heaven one day, and the only way to get there is through Christ, because that's what the Bible says. So we need to change our attitude. We need to repent. And then you have to kind of have some for, so, for, form of an act of will. You can't just wake up one day and say, now I'm a Christian. You have the invitation, you have the repentance, and then you have the ability to say, you know what, Jesus, I acknowledge you as more, Lord of my life. See, that's what salvation is about. And it's something that happens in the heart. It's not something that happens just because you walk down a, 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 an aisle or you raise a hand or whatever. It's something that God does in your heart. How should you respond to to the invitation that Christ gives us? First of all, Matthew 6.33 says we should seek His kingdom and His righteousness. I'd ask you this morning, are you doing that? Are you seeking the kingdom of God that it would be established in your life? Are you seeking your own kingdom? Luke 16.16 says this, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Talking about John the Baptist. Since then... Here's what it says. The gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. See, there are a lot of ways to interpret that. But one of the ways is that it really means to enter kind of violently. When people whose hearts are right see the kingdom, they're in a hurry to rush into it. They don't need to be talked into it. They literally sees it violently. They they desire it. And that's what God does in the heart. He changes our attitude so that we can seek His kingdom. We should value the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, Jesus says, the kingdom is like a treasure. Think of some earthly treasures that you have. Maybe a piece of jewelry or or, uh, something that you had in your antique or something in your house or whatever that you really value. Well, that's what we should value is have that same feeling, that same attitude toward the kingdom of God. By faith, we should hold on to it. And unfortunately, lip service won't do. (laughs) It's not one thing. Oh, yeah, I value the kingdom. And then you live like you don't. I mean, think about it. The Bible says very clearly many are going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ on that day and say, Lord, Lord. <laughs> they're, they're actually going to say those words. Lord, Lord, haven't we done this in your name? Haven't we healed this person? Haven't we cast out you? Haven't we done all these wonderful things in your name? And Jesus is going to turn to them and say, you know what? I'm sorry, depart from me. I never knew you. See, they thought because they were doing certain things or because they were you know, putting certain things on and kind of living this hypocritical life that they could fool God. You can't fool God. God knows the way of your heart. He wants you to value His kingdom. And the last thing is just receive it. You need to receive it. You need to receive the invitation of Christ. It's not difficult. It's something that He cries out for you to do. That should be our response to Christ's invitation of His kingdom coming in our hearts personally. So it's the conversion of unbelievers. Thirdly, here in closing, it's also the commitment of believers. You know, you may say this, well, why am I already a Christian? This doesn't apply to me. Well, it does. See, when we pray, Lord, may our program and your reign and your rule kind of all jive together. You're praying that people's hearts will be open to the rule and reign of Christ. That's kind of what we want here. And it applies to us as believers as well. Not just non-Christians. There's many a days you get up, at least I'll say for myself, I get up, I don't want to do what God has called me to do for that day, whatever it may be. Flesh kicks against it. You don't want to do it, whatever. And you have to be committed to, to whatever God's calling you to do. In Romans 14, 17, Paul said this, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. In other words, the kingdom of God is not on the outside, is what he's saying. The kingdom of God is not external. And he says this, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Are you committed to those things in your life? Sometimes we lose those aspects of, of those different elements in our lives as we grow older in our faith and pretty soon we're kind of discouraged and we just kind of fall into a you know, routine in our, our faith and... I was talking to someone this morning and I said, Hey, how are you doing this morning? He said, You know what? I woke up this morning, my heart was beating. It's a great day. And I thought, What a good attitude. That is just wonderful. I mean, would it be the God that we would all have that kind of attitude? Rather than roll out of bed, Oh, yeah, I've got to go through another day. Just thank God that your lungs are working and your heart's beating, that you're able to see and hear. Maybe even if you have to use some device to help you here. Thank God for the technology that's available. So we need to be committed as believers to that kind of push, that every day that, you know what, we're going we're to live each day for the fullest for God and, and that his kingdom would be established in our lives. It's not about us. And the last thing there, it's going to commence with Christ's earthly rule. One day the heavens are going to split open and Jesus will ascend and plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. You know, when we were over there in Israel and we saw that, I mean, I couldn't help but think, wow, this is where this is going to happen. How amazing. He'll come back for a thousand year rule here on earth. The Bible says with the rod of iron and the world will finally hear the answer to this prayer that we've been praying. May your universal kingdom become the earthly kingdom. And for a thousand years it says he will rule and reign in righteousness, justice, truth, and peace. And at the end of that time of the kingdom it will phase into the universal kingdom and never again will there ever be, be a distinction between those
0: two. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-650. 366 9923. That's six five zero three six six ninety nine twenty three. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org and drop us an email when you do. We have a lot of other information about us and who we are and what we believe there as well. Again, that's gracefultruth.org. Our address if you would like to visit or write to us twenty-two twenty five Euclid. Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Well, as we close out our time together today, we do so with one final word from our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Steve? Thanks, Andy. I'd like to
2: take a few moments to thank our Graceful Truth listening audience as we'll be completing our first year of broadcasting this coming December here on KFAX. Graceful Truth is sponsored by and originates from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church located in Redwood City, where it's been my pleasure and delight to serve as pastor and teacher for the past 12 years. It's our desire to reveal the grace of God through the teaching of his word each week so that the body of Christ may be edified and built up and encouraged in their faith and that people in the Bay Area will hear and respond to the hope and the life-changing message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that almost a whole year has flown by and we now find ourselves in the month of November, a month filled with Thanksgiving celebration. I'd like to encourage you as listeners to let us know this month if this ministry has been a blessing and encouragement to you and your Christian walk. Won't you please take time to give us a call or send us an email or a letter in the mail to share with us how this program has been a blessing to you. Thanks again for listening, and may you and your family have a blessed and Christ-centered Thanksgiving season.
0: Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for joining us here today on graceful truth. Until next week, God bless.